I would encourage you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. That's where we're going to be. And if you have a smartphone, uh, there's a Bible app event. There it is. Bible app event for this uh, message. And you can follow along uh, on that if you would like to. We've been talking about counterfeits. And this week we're talking about counterfeit intimacy. And as I introduce this topic, I want to acquaint you or perhaps reacquaint you with the biblical concept of covenants. In fact, your Bible is open to one of the first covenants in history in Genesis chapter 12, where God makes a covenant with a man named Abram. Later, his name is going to be Abraham. This covenant is called the Abrahamic covenant. And I'd like to read it to you. It's only three verses long. The fourth verse kind of just talks about uh, the afterword there. But I want to read you these first four verses in Genesis 12. So follow along as I read it. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went out as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram, I should say. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Now, I just want to give a couple observations as we move forward here concerning uh, this covenant. First, I want you to notice that God initiated it. It wasn't like Abram went and said, hey, I'm looking for God. I wonder where he is. Just it seems out of the blue that God just goes to Abram. and, And basically, he says one word that applies to Abram's part of the covenant. Go. That's basically it. Go, Abram. And then the rest of the covenant, all the rest of those verses talk about God's job. Here's what I will do. You go. Here's what I will do. I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're 75 years old and don't have a child yet. You're not going to believe the number of children you're going to have. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. And Abraham, that's a pretty great name in history. I will, I will Make you yourself a blessing. I will bless anyone who blesses you, Abram. And anyone who talks trash about you, I'll talk trash about them. I will curse those who curse you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through Abraham. Now you might think to yourself, "Ah, how's everyone blessed through Abraham? Well, it was through Abraham that eventually this child was born in Bethlehem. And through him, salvation came. Through Jesus, salvation came. All peoples on earth are blessed through him. Now, as you read on about Abraham and you understand his life, you find some amazing things happening. And what I kind of want to focus on in the next minute or so is the intimacy, the unusual level of intimacy that Abraham has with God. First off, God speaks to him personally. In Genesis 18, for example, God shows up visibly and tells Abraham that his wife Sarah is going to have a child. It's God who's there. It says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting in the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Does God show up for you in bodily form like that? He doesn't for me. I have intimacy with God, but not that level of intimacy. What was it? Why does Abraham have that level of intimacy? Here's another example. When God has decided to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for the wickedness happening in their midst, the Bible says in Genesis 18, 17, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? 
I'm about to go and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but maybe I should tell Abraham about this before I do it. Does God consult with you concerning the events on his Google calendar? He doesn't me. I have intimacy with God, but not that level of intimacy with him. Why does Abraham have that kind of intimacy with God? When God calls Abraham to prove his faith by taking his son and sacrificing him in the region of Moriah, killing him is what Abraham is called to do. Evidently, God spoke with such clarity that Abraham is fully convinced God wants him to sacrifice Isaac, his son. In Genesis 22, it says, Then God said, Take your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two servants and his son Isaac, who when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out to the place God had told him about. I have spent years pondering how could Abraham have taken his son to the brink of death that way. And I'm convinced that part of it is the high level of intimacy that existed between Abraham and God. I have intimacy with God, but not that level of intimacy. Why does Abraham have this kind of intimacy? Now, we talk about intimacy with God, intimacy among friends, intimacy with family, intimacy in marriage. And while each of those are a little bit different, all of them are inextricably tied to one word. And that word is covenant. I believe that that is why Abraham had this intimacy with God, because of the word covenant. In fact, I believe that covenant is an essential element in intimacy. If the covenant is in place and if it is working, the relationship is strong. But if the covenant is counterfeit or even neglected, the relationship will lack intimacy. Now, to understand genuine intimacy, you really need to understand this word covenant. And so I'm borrowing from a theologian named Wayne Grudem in his book, Systematic Theology. It's a good book. It's a good book. Grudem defines covenant with these words. He says, a covenant is an unchangeable, there's one word, divinely imposed, there's another important phrase, legal agreement between God and man, which stipulates the conditions of their relationship. I want to kind of take that apart, spend maybe five minutes thinking about that first. Grudem is reminding us that a covenant is something that cannot be changed. He uses that word, an unchangeable agreement. The emphasis is that God doesn't change the rules halfway through the game. Have you ever, when you were a little kid, you're playing a game with someone, maybe you're playing checkers, and, and you know, you're beating the tar out of them, and then they say, this is surrender checkers, whoever loses first wins. God never does that. It's an unchangeable kind of covenant. And the unchangeability applies to any covenant. Any covenant, in order for it to be a covenant, has to be enduring and unchangeable. Thinking people don't enter into a marriage covenant, for example, and, and you know, stand here in front of a building like this, in front of a person like me, and think to themselves, yeah, if this doesn't work out, I'll find somebody else. You don't do that because the covenant cannot be changed and that's your thinking there. I have told you this story over and over again and it bears repeating every time I have a chance to tell it. There's a couple that you may have known. 
named Glenn and Myrtle Zorger. Glenn had a surgery done on his carotid arteries, and the surgery made some plaque break loose, and he, he had a stroke, and he was completely paralyzed on his one side and unable to really communicate. They had to use a crane to get him in and out of bed for almost a decade, for almost a decade. Myrtle, for almost a decade, got into her white Dodge Caravan in Hepburnia and drove through Kerwinsville out to Clearfield into Laurel, Mountain Laurel Rehabilitation. Arrived at 9 o'clock and stayed till after supper at her husband's side. And you know, I was there when he died. And after he'd passed away and were waiting for the funeral home to come, Myrtle and I had a chance to talk. And I said to her, Myrtle, I so admire your coming in every day to sit with your husband. And Myrtle said, I made a promise. I made a promise. She was in covenant. The covenant of marriage. Marriage should be seen as a covenant. Unbreakable. Unchangeable. A covenant cannot be a covenant if it's whimsy-driven. Second, a covenant has to be authoritative. It has to to be like, this is it and there's nothing else. You can think of a covenant kind of like the U.S. Constitution. You say you change the Constitution, well, you know, we all want to change your head. John Lennon, right? Yeah, a covenant is something that carries authority and you can't just set it aside. When Grudem speaks about covenants, he speaks specifically about biblical ones, and he notes that they're enacted by God. God creates covenants with his people. And if you know the nature of God, you know that's a good thing because because any covenant that God creates with you and me is to our benefit because we are his beloved. And so he cares about us, he loves us, and he creates covenants with us. The fact that these covenants are divinely imposed, that's what gives them authority. And for a covenant to have any value at all, to, have any, to be worth its salt, it has to be authoritative. Otherwise, the covenant's just words. You kind of get this, a hint of this when you hear a pastor performing a wedding ceremony. You've heard me say this sentence, by the power vested in me as a minister of the work of God and by the laws of this commonwealth. Now, speaking as a minister of the work of God, I have come to see that the laws of this commonwealth are way secondary in what I'm doing at that moment. That's why they're second. The power vested in me as a minister of the work of God and by the laws of this commonwealth. I can pronounce you husband and wife. If I don't have the power vested in me as a minister of the work of God, there's no authority there, and then it is just a piece of paper. I'm not saying if you weren't married by a minister of the work of God, your marriage doesn't count. Here's what I'm saying. If you don't see that you were entering a covenant, an authoritative covenant, you are cheating yourself of deeper intimacy. Because in order to have intimacy, you have to have a covenant. And in order to have a covenant, there has to be an authority. There are many covenants that carry this sense of authority with them. We just mentioned marriage. Another one is a covenant of, maybe a covenant of adoption. You know, when someone goes in to adopt a child, there are certain things, questions that are asked of them. Those questions are covenantal in nature. 
And, and when you see something on the news, I can remember several years ago, there was a family somewhere in the Midwest and they had adopted a child from Russia and they said, yeah, we don't want, we don't want this one. We'd like to return them. Is the 30 days up? There's no 30 days. You entered a covenant. And when you hear that, you're like, no, that's wrong. You're right, it's wrong to just give that child back because a covenant is enacted when adoption happens. I'll tell you someone else who understands covenants, soldiers. They don't even have to say it to one another. (laughs) No man left behind. That's covenantal talk. And they understand that. Even a friendship covenant carries an authoritative reality. There's a woman in the Bible. Her name is Ruth. She has a book named after her. Ruth's husband dies. Her her mother-in-law and she are alone. Two widows alone together. And Ruth speaks to her friend, her mother-in-law, in covenantal language. You have heard this language read at weddings. It makes me kind of laugh because it's a daughter-in-law and a mother-in-law. They're not getting married or anything. In fact, Ruth's going to find a man later in the story. But the covenant of friendship is so powerful that our society has said, wow, this sounds good even in a marriage. Ruth says, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. And your people, they'll be my people. And your God, He'll be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Whew. Don't you want a friend like that? Meaningful friendships are marked by covenantal love. So several years ago, some friends of ours were going on a cruise, and they had told me about it months in advance, but you know me, I forgot about it. And when the weekend came, they were leaving on Saturday, someone mentioned to me, maybe on Thursday or so, they said, hey, you know, so-and-so's going on that cruise, it's this weekend. I'm like, really, it's this weekend? And I tend to be just a little bit of a prankster, just a little bit. And so I went to my friend, and I looked him in the eyes, and I said to him, hey, buddy, I'm in a bad way. I am in trouble deep, and I really need you to help me this weekend. He's leaving Friday. He's flying out. I really need you to help me on Saturday. Can you help me? And my covenantal friend looked me straight in the eyes, and he said, what do you need, buddy? (laughs) Well, I couldn't take it any further. (laughs) I said, I'm just kidding. I know you're going on a cruise. I'm just playing with you, man. I'm just having a good time with you. And after we laughed together about that, I laughed harder than he did. After we laughed together about that, he looked me in the eyes and he said, seriously, if you were in trouble, I would have moved heaven and earth to help you. Wow. That is genuine intimacy. He was willing to give up his cruise depending on the depth of my need. That's covenantal friendship. And it's authoritative kind of friendship. Covenantal friendship as well, or a covenant in general, is relational. It speaks of how we connect to one another. It speaks in, Grudem says, a biblical covenant speaks of how God relates to man and man to God. Um, Think about the covenant of the Ten Commandments, the law. You know, it begins right away with a relational kind of statement. In Exodus 20, 20, 20, verse 3, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. That's a relational thing. I'm the only God that I want you to have. If you have another God, that's going to be a problem in our relationship. I am the only one. It's relational. 
Now, you probably notice covenants are not wordy. In, some, in fact, sometimes they're not even verbalized, but they're always clear. They're always clear. Covenant carries with it a sense of loyalty, a sense of protection for one another, a sense of I will look after you, and I know you will look after me. Now, I have a couple other passages of Scripture I'm going to look at. If you want to, you could turn to Ephesians 5, verse 21. We're going to read that in the following verses there. I want to say to you that genuine intimacy, if you want genuine intimacy, then you must commit to covenant. You can't have genuine heart-to-heart friendship if you will not commit to covenant. The deepest intimacy the two human beings can have is the intimacy shared by a husband and wife. In marriage, a bond of intimacy is created by the bond of covenant. I want to read, I want to read Ephesians 5, 21 and following to you. And, and I want you to notice here the word intimacy and the word covenant within this text, unspoken. Verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. That sounds intimate to me. For the husband is ahead of the wife as Christ is ahead of the church, his body over which he is Savior. So as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husband in everything. I guess that sounds covenantal to me. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. That feels intimate to me. To make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. There's some more covenantal language. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Intimacy. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed it and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for all members of his body, covenant. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Intimacy. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Covenant. It's throughout there. You can see both those words applying in a variety of different places there. You cannot separate the concept of covenant from the concept of, of intimacy. In marriage, intimacy is bound by covenant. So that means that there are a lot of relationships that just don't have genuine intimacy because covenant is a special thing. It's not for every relationship, but it's for special relationships. Think of the relationship you have with your internet service provider. It's not very intimate, is it? You, you might have a contract, terms of service, but you don't have any covenant. I'm going to tell you what I did two weeks ago because I am so stinking proud of it. and so stinking pleased about it. Two weeks ago, the phone rang. I was at home, rang at the church, and that rings into the house there. I picked it up, Kermansville Alliance Church. Hi, this is Atlantic Broadband. Uh, we'd like to talk to uh, whoever's in charge of your internet. Uh, we'd like to offer you uh, internet service. I said, you're just the person I want to talk to. Really? I said, yeah, because we have internet service and we're paying way too much money for that. $210 a month because it's a business. He said, well, let me, let me see what I can do. And so I'm talking to him. I'm talking about his family. I'm talking to him about his wife's education, talking to him about church, talking to him about life, everything else. And in the end, that dropped from $210 a month to $89 a month over the next three years. I saved a church $4,300, more than that. How cool is that, right? 
Yeah, and I am open to negotiating your account on your behalf. (laughs) Here's what's funny about that. The whole time I'm talking to him, I have him on speakerphone. I'm sitting at my computer over here, and my wife is on the other side of the study, sitting at her computer over there. When I get done, Laurel turned around and said, wow, I think that guy feels like he just talked to the best friend he ever had. That was intimacy, but it was counterfeit intimacy. You understand that? I knew it, and he knew it. He probably just saw me as a guy who was a good guy to talk to, but it was not real intimacy. Why? Why wasn't it real? Because there was no covenant involved. Most relationships don't have intimacy because the covenant is special. It is for special things. You don't have intimacy with every person who lives on your street. You might go over and cut their grass when they're laid up, or you might shovel their walk. You might even exchange Christmas cookies at Christmas time. You might let them park in your driveway or they in yours when, when your driveways are full. But unless you have a covenant with them, something that binds you to look after their interests and they to look after yours, you probably don't, well, you certainly don't have genuine intimacy because you can't have intimacy without covenant. And most relationships don't call for covenant and therefore are not intimate. A one-night stand. Just that one-night stand. Is that Intimate? It might feel intimate, but that is counterfeit intimacy. Counterfeit intimacy, because it leaves you empty. And what you're filled with is anything but good stuff, guilt, shame, regret. Why? Because what we did seemed so right. Why? Because there was no covenant present. No covenant, no intimacy. And you're left with counterfeit intimacy. Covenant actually ensures intimacy in real relationships. Think of the marriage. Intimacy is part of marriage. And not just physical intimacy. That's good. We're all for that. But there's other kinds of intimacy that a husband and wife enjoy. Emotional intimacy. Feeling what the other person feels. You know, Laurel has had a problem with her neck and shoulder. And so three times I walked out of the, of the wild game, I'm sorry, the sportsman's banquet doings here and just looked to make sure, is my wife okay? And then when we got home, I said, hey, I was praying for you while you were working tonight. I know that was probably hard on your shoulder. I, took, I, looked, at, I looked after you a couple times. And she said, thank you for doing that. That's intimacy, you understand? And that's something a husband and wife share together. Spiritual connectedness. I'm praying for you. Are you sure that's the direction God wants you to go? Hey, I found this cool thing when I was reading the Bible the other day. We're feeling good just being together. All of that is intimacy, and it is ensured when covenant is in place. Well, Pastor Steve, Pastor Steve, I I didn't experience that intimacy. In my marriage, I get that, okay? I understand that, and I'm not judging you, but I just want to suggest when one or both of the spouses fail to honor the covenant, intimacy begins to disintegrate. It disappears. You can even think of this idea of covenant ensuring intimacy in terms of your church family. Now, we have a number of people here 
who have gone through the membership class and the elders have not yet met with you, and I've got to say this because I'm going to talk about membership, we want to meet with you. We just have been really distracted by a lot of other things. But you're on our minds and in our hearts, and we're going to get to that. Please be gracious with us as we move forward. I promise you are a priority with us. Having said that, let me talk to you about being part of a church family. We live in a world where people see church the way they see the local hardware store or the local grocery store or the big box store. And so they go there, and if that store doesn't have what they want, they just up and leave. And maybe they've been shopping at this store for a couple, three years, but you know what? I think that store isn't making, I'm going to go to this store instead. And, and the reason is because they don't have any covenant with that store. And that's perfectly okay when it comes to your store. It is not okay when it comes to the family of God. Because a church family is something that is bound together by, count, by, by covenant. And, and if, if a person just goes just to see what they can get and then to take off and fails to engage in any kind of covenantal relationship with the people around them, then the kind of intimacy that they're feeling maybe on a Sunday morning might be counterfeit intimacy. Because being part of a church family carries with it the idea of being committed to one another. The idea that you will work with that person and you will stand for that person and you are committed to those people. And that kind of covenant, as you work that out and live that out and devote your time and energy toward it, produces friendships that are intimate and rich and beautiful. Beautiful friendships. Covenant of friendship. (laughs) I have unwritten friendships with some men that I would run through a wall for them and they for me. How does that happen? Time invested in covenant. A covenant that we never wrote down, but a covenant that each of us knows and understands. If you want intimacy, you have to embrace covenant. And if you want what Abraham had, the intimacy with God kind of thing, then you have to be covenantal with God. Have you ever looked at another Christian and just said, wow, I wish I had a relationship with God that he has? I'm sure you have. I have done the same. What's the difference between your relationship with God and his relationship with God? I would say it might be a difference of covenant. Because if you want intimate relationship with God, you have to be covenantal. And the covenant that you have to have has to be the one that is established by him. Remember, Grudem said that the covenant is unchangeable and that unchangeability means I don't have the right to tweak it. It is established by God. So I can't add to Christ's teaching and I can't take away from Christ's teaching. What he said about humankind must remain. We are lost apart from his redemptive work. And what he said about himself must be honored. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And what he said about grace must be respected. You can only be saved by grace through faith in his death on your behalf. And what he said about morality must stand. You cannot be my disciple and hate others. That's the covenant. And it comes from him. It is the one he established. You want intimacy with God? Agree with that covenant. And understand, your covenant with God must be on God's terms because covenants are authoritative. I have this thing I do 
that I can't stop doing and it is so bad for me. On Facebook, when I read a news article, I read the comments. (laughs) Do you do that? That It's so bad for me. Here's what kills me though. When, When a Christian thing comes up and you're reading about it, you will read someone, and I've heard people say this as well, I'm a Christian, but I do it my way. What does that even mean? I'm a Christian, but I do it my way. You need to do it God's way because Jesus' terms are good terms. His yoke is easy and His burden is light, but His terms are His terms. And they're authoritative. They're non-negotiable. You want intimacy with God? Bend to His covenant. Bend His covenant. And naturally, (laughs) the covenant with God must be deeply relational. Jesus wants deep, covenantal relationship with you. He does not want the casual friendship that you have with your UPS man. My UPS man, when he comes up, how's it going? Preach! That's what he says, you know. Pray for me, I have a surgery coming up in June. And then he's back in his vehicle. That's our friendship. It's non-covenantal. The relationship Jesus wants to have with you is not casual. He doesn't want to have the same relationship with you that you have with your children's teachers at school. It's not necessarily a covenantal relationship. It's a little casual. (laughs) That phrase, well, you know, me and the man upstairs, that's not what he wants. He doesn't want to be the man upstairs. Jesus is anything but casual concerning his covenant. In fact, and I'm not certain of this, but I, I, as I did my research, I came to a conclusion. It seems that Jesus only uses the word covenant in one context. He, he doesn't use the word covenant when he calls his disciples. Come unto me and I will make you fishers of men. Enter into my covenant. He doesn't use that word there. I added that last sentence. He doesn't use the word covenant when he says in John, I call you my friends. For I disclose to you things that you would disclose to a friend. He doesn't say, we're in covenant together. He doesn't use the word there. He only uses covenant. He never uses this with Mary and Martha, some of his best friends. He doesn't say, this is good covenantal soup that you made, Mary. Martha would have made it anyway, right? He only speaks of covenant in one context, and that is on his journey to the cross. It's the only time. Covenant is not a casual thing for Jesus. It is a serious thing for Jesus. This, he says, is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus doesn't want casual friendship. He wants deep intimacy with you, and he paid for that intimacy of covenant relationship with his blood. And so, to be relational, deeply relational, you will have to commit to following him, not casually, but deeply. You'll have to commit to obeying him and bending your will to his will. You'll have to commit to receiving teaching from his word. Jump back on the Mission 119 app, it's fixed. You're going to have to commit to engaging with other Christians and talking about their walk with God because Scripture says it clearly, as iron sharpens iron, So one of us sharpens the other. You're going to have to commit to prayer and talking to God about what's going on in your life and listening to what he might have to say. To be intimate with God, you need to be covenantal. And covenants can never 
be casual. You cannot have real intimacy apart from covenant. Meaningful marriage, it requires covenant. Lasting friendships, they require covenant. Knowing God, it requires covenant. Today I want to pray that you would make covenant an important part of the important relationships in your life. As I pray, would you stand if you're comfortable doing so? Let's focus for a minute. Okay, here's what we're doing. We're going to just think about our relationship with God. Then we're going to think about our relationship, our marriage relationship. We're going to think about friendships. And we're going to consider, are they marked by genuine intimacy? Or is it counterfeit intimacy? And then we're going to say, God, we want to enter into covenant in these important relationships so that we can experience what Abraham experienced, what countless ones have experienced through the ages, genuine intimacy with you. So let me pray for you to that end. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful. Thankful for you introducing us to covenants. That you are the initiator of the covenant we experience with you. It was you who, while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. We are so appreciative of that. And we recognize that 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 is not a casual kind of thing to go to the cross and die for someone. And that does not require a casual kind of response, but it requires a covenantal one. So in terms of our relationship with you, God, we commit ourselves to you. We, We say, Jesus, Thank you for dying for our sins because we needed someone to die for our sins. We trust, Jesus, that your sacrifice is full and complete and that because of your death on our behalf, we are forgiven simply as we trust you. And we will follow you. Not as though you were the man upstairs. Not as though you were our internet service provider but we will follow you with hearts of loving, loving surrender. We think of other relationships we have in our lives. We think of relationships where we've been trying to have intimacy void of of covenant, and we repent of that. So wrong. Forgive us, God, for pursuing a counterfeit intimacy. We would ask that the important relationships in our lives, our marriages, our relationships with parents and children, our relationships with good friends, our relationships inside the Christian community, may we commit ourselves to covenant in those relationships so that we can experience the heart-to-heart intimacy that we long for. We ask you to make these things so because they are so important. They're important to us and even more important to you. And so we trust you to hear and act upon our prayer as our hearts are open to you in Christ's name. Amen.